couple things I just want to let you know about before we get into our message time. Don't forget that next Sunday uh, is our annual meeting in the evening at 6 o'clock. We're going to do that together here next Sunday. It's a great opportunity to come and hear a little about what God is doing and see what God has got for us in the future. And I encourage you guys to be here for that. Also next Sunday is everyone's favorite Sunday of the year, the Fallback Sunday, right? So be sure to remind yourself of that. Uh, It's great for you to show up early here. We'll welcome you. Uh, But that's a great day. You get some more sleep. And so we're looking forward to that. Well, when I was in college, I had a four-by-four truck. Now, it was a big one, right? It was, it was a full-size truck, and uh, I think I was overcompensating for, for this. Uh, I was uh, at the same height as I am now, but back in college, I was a whopping 115 pounds, so I was a big guy, super intimidating, uh, and I, I just, I love driving this truck. I loved this truck. I had so much of my life was wrapped up into it. I used to shampoo the carpets like every week, and I was just, I was that guy, right? And, and I remember I was pulling out of the parking lot at the college that I attended, just sitting there minding my own business, and this car full of teenage boys drives by, and they have a sunroof open, and they're, you got their hands up out of the sunroof, whoa, just being crazy, and then I see something emerge from the sunroof, and it's a giant bag of trash. And these kids, they just whip this big bag of trash at my truck. It hits the front of it, it blocks off. Uh, probably nothing really happened to my truck because, of course, it was huge, right? But, uh, but in that moment, something snapped. And little 115-pound Stephen revved my engine and took off after them. I didn't know these kids. It was a big city. They didn't know who I was. was uh, and I chased them. Now, not like a high-speed chase like on TV, you know, where they're like jumping and there's air and all that. It wasn't that. But I would chase them for a few minutes. And as it would go on, I was fuming. This anger was just welling up within me. I was so mad that they had violated me. They had violated my truck. And I was going to show them who's boss. And here's what's happened. As we got closer and closer, it was going on. These kids went from rowdy, teenage, obnoxious boys to terrified little children. Because all they could see was me up from this up, you know. And so they think this big, scary dude in this truck is chasing after me. I chase them through their neighborhood, follow them what I think is one of their houses. They pull into their driveway. They run into the door, slam the door. I pull into the driveway and just sit there. And then it occurs to me, what am I going to do? Every single one of these teenage boys is bigger than me. And if they had any idea who was really in that truck, they definitely would not have run away. But in that moment, something overtook me. And it just filled me up. And it was anger. And it was dumb. And it was stupid. Road rage. And I remember thinking, Stephen, this isn't very smart. So, of course, I put the car in reverse and drove away and just had to reflect on that moment that I had. Well, this week we're in the second week of our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. Last week we talked about pride. And if you haven't guessed, this morning we're looking at the sin, the deadly sin of wrath, or as we often refer to it, anger, right? Now, several years ago, Pixar released a movie called Inside Out. And you guys see that movie? 
It was the story of this young girl and the emotions that lived inside her. And all these emotions were personified by a character. And the character that lived within her that represented anger looked like this. You remember this little guy here? And as they would go through life, this girl, this anger within her uh, would reveal itself. And uh, Mr. Anger there, his head didn't always look like that. But something would happen when he would get hot. When something would just rub him wrong and the fire would start to shoot out of his head. And that's a great analogy for anger. Anger is like a fire. See, fire, just like anger, can be used for both good and for evil. Think about it. Fire can be used for stuff that's good. It's not just a raging fire that destroys things. It can be used for cooking or heating. Many of you guys are excited about that. How many of you turned your heat on already? Wimps. Okay. No, you've already turned your heat on. Fire is good for heating. Uh, When it's controlled, it's often used uh, to clear debris or even to cleanse things. Fire can create positive energy that can be used for great things. That's what we refer to in the Bible as righteous anger. Right? Anger, under the right conditions, can fuel positive change. God is often angry. We often like to think of just... God is just being a God of love, and he is a God of love, but he is also a God of wrath. We find examples all over the Bible of God being angry with sin, with injustice in the world. We have several examples of Jesus himself being angry when faced with injustices in sin and usually the hypocrisy of the people who claim to know better and should know better. There is a righteous anger, and it's that righteous anger that motivates people to address injustices in our world, to stand up for the underdog, to do the right thing. But that's not the type of wrath or anger that we're talking about when we say that it's one of the seven deadly sins. Because anger, just like fire, is volatile. It's what's called an unstable compound. It's not easy to control. And left uncontrolled, it leads to destruction. Fire, forest fires ravage communities. Arson, violent explosions, fire can be dangerous when it's not controlled. In our study of James, we went through recently, we talked about how our words are often like a wildfire in spread. And anger is often one of those sins that leads to so much pain and destruction. The second wisest man, actually third, Jesus, Solomon, and then of course, Master Yoda said this, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. It's a gateway sin. So what's the problem with anger? Colossians chapter three, verse eight, nine tells us this, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, And filthy language from your lips. See, the deadly sin of anger seems pretty obvious just because we often see the results of that anger. But here's the deal. Anger, just like we talked about last week with pride, isn't always visible on the surface. It doesn't always manifest itself in fire from our heads. While we might not always see the dangers of these seven deadly sins we're looking at, it doesn't take us much convincing to see the dangers and the damages of anger. We see the damages of the deadly sin of anger all around us. Wars, abuse, 
politics, turn on the TV, the news, broken marriages, and of course, the obvious violence. Just this week, our country suffered yet another mass shooting in Maine. And while I know many of these instances involve mental health issues, anger is always found at the root of those. Someone is angry about something and they go mad. That's what we call that. We say we're mad. The definition of mad actually means to go insane, to lose your mind, to lose it. And anger is at the root of all the violence and the viciousness we see played out in both physical violence and the weapons of our words. Sometimes the weapons of our fingers as we type. Studies have shown that anger levels in people continue to rise. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that out. We seem like just people seem angry and on edge. Uh, COVID, I think, really ramped that up to 11, didn't it? Of just seeing the anger that welled up inside people for all sorts of things. The Bible has a lot to say about anger. Anger is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. Just a few examples from Psalm 37, 8. It says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. There we see that there's something behind our anger. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In this case, in that scripture, it's a worry. In Proverbs 29, 22, it says, an angry person stirs up conflict. We all know people like that, right? Who just stirs up conflict. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person never sins. Right? No, a hot-tempered person commits many sins. The problem with anger is that we never really know how much damage it's going to cause. In that heated moment when we blow our lid, when the fire rages out of control, we do or we say something that many times has consequences that can last for years. For some people, it does a damage that even lasts a lifetime. We create lifelong wounds and resentment, all because of the deadly sin of anger. A lady was once in with her pastor, uh, coming in for counseling to deal with her out-of-control temper. And she said, it's no big deal. She said, I just blow up, and then it's all over. The pastor replied, so does a shotgun. And look at all the damage that it does. Frederick Buechner said this. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds and smack your lips over grievances long past. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton left at the feast is you. And we saw last week with our first sin, pride, that it first manifested itself in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden between Adam and Eve as they faced the temptation of pride and gave into it. And the next sin we see is just the next page over. If you've got your Bibles, we're looking at Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve's son, Cain and Abel, starting in verse 2. It says, Later... She gave birth to his brother Abel. So this is talking about Eve. He said, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. See, it's no surprise that the first recorded outburst of anger is between who? Family. Not perfect strangers, but siblings, flesh and blood. And anger in itself, we even see here in this first instance of anger, it tells us that something is wrong. Anger is often referred to as a warning light. You know those warning lights we have on our dashboard? The one that I often see come up on mine is the low gas, right? I'm about to be out of fuel. And it's giving us that warning because it's saying something needs to be paid attention to. There's nothing wrong yet, but something is about to be wrong if you don't do something about it. And that's how anger often is. It's a warning light for us. Let's carry on in verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Or some of your translations might say, you must become a master of it. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? Cain kills his brother Abel in anger. The second of our deadly sins, anger. Cain didn't care that his warning light was going off. He didn't pay attention to his warnings, even when God called them out. So why are you angry? Pay attention. What's going on? If you do the right thing, you don't have to worry about this. But Cain didn't pay attention to the warning light. Now, I don't think I need to spend any more time trying to make a case that anger is wrong. That's a problem. All of us at some point in our life can point to situations where anger destroyed something. A marriage, a relationship, whatever it might be. But the problem is we don't always see anger within ourselves. Unless it's visible, unless we're one of those people that just is an angry person. A lot of us think, that this isn't me. I don't struggle with anger. For the rest of our time here this morning, I'd like to look at how to rule anger. That's what God said to Cain. He said, you have to rule over it. You have to master this. Or I could call this sermon, what to do when you're on fire, right? Now, when I was a kid growing up in school, they taught us three words that I thought were going to just change my life. And these three words, they drilled them into us so much that I thought I was going to be facing this situation so much more than I really have in life. Remember what those words were? Stop, drop, and roll, right? It seemed like every day they were drilling this into us, and it's a great thing. It's a great mantra to have. It's having to back your head. And now I know that. So if I'm ever on fire, I'm going to know what to do. But I honestly thought I was going to be facing the dangers of of just spontaneously setting on fire much more because of how that was drilled into me. But it's solid advice. And we're going to look at this this morning of how just those simple words can help us when we're on fire. First thing, stop. To stop, to pause to reflect and ask ourselves a question. Where is this fire coming from? Where is this fire coming from? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26, 
tells us these words. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In your anger, in other words, you're going to face this. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Now, these two verses might seem to be at odds with each other. Are we supposed to go to bed angry or not? The point isn't the location or the time of day, although it's good to practice to work it out before you go to sleep. But often, what you go to bed with is what you wake up with. You guys ever experienced this? Whatever's on your mind in that moment when you go to sleep, it's still going to be on your mind when you wake up. I can't ever think of a time that I went to bed stewing mad and I woke up super happy. It doesn't work that way. I probably woke up stewing mad or at least cranky. The point of this passage, of these two passages, is that we shouldn't let anger fester. Instead, we should follow the wisdom of Psalm 4.4. Reflect, stop, reflect. And yes, he says, be silent. That's the psalmist's really polite way of saying, shut up. I have never regretted not speaking when I'm angry. Stop, reflect, pause. James reminds us, we just looked over this a few weeks ago, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then what happens? We're slow to become angry. Quick, slow, slow, if you remember we talked about that. See, when you're angry, because we will get angry, stop, reflect, ask yourself, where is this fire coming from? Is it a righteous anger? Is this going to lead to something positive? Where is this fire coming from within me? See, the emotion of anger isn't really the problem. It's where it came from. The emotion on itself isn't the sin, but where it comes from often is. You might be one, not one of those people who have huge outbursts of anger. There are some in this room that do. And you probably know if you're one of them. If not, the person next to you knows if you're one of them. But what about those of us who don't have those outbursts of anger, who maybe don't chase people down in their cars when trash is thrown at them? See, it's not just enough to control the action. It begins in the heart. Jesus says these words. He talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He talks about murder, and he says this. He says, you have heard it said of the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, or idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is telling us, first of all, how important it is that we deal with this. If you're in church, you might need to leave and go meet with that person. In that moment, that's more important than you even being in the presence of God. 
to pause, reflect. But there's something going on as Jesus is talking about this, and he goes on through the rest of this chapter and, and outlines these different things like murder and adultery. And he's saying these are all evil, terrible things, but what really the problem is, is what's inside. Now, I've got this jar of water here. And this represents often what's inside of us, right? This anger that's within us. I come home, and I open the door, and I walk in, and I see that dinner's not ready. Honey, why isn't dinner ready? The anger just spills out. What have you been doing all day? Now, in that moment, has my wife done anything wrong? Does it even matter what's coming out of me? Yes, it does, but where does that come from? It comes from within me. It has nothing to do with what she's done. It's this anger spilling out of me. Your brother or your sister, let's say your sister borrows your sweater without asking. And you just get piping mad and you start just lashing out at her. It's a sin for that to happen, but this is inside you. This is spilling out of you. This is the way that anger is. You're driving your car, and someone waits till just the last minute to merge. And what happens? You just let it go. It might be a flying finger. It might be you're gripping it. You might be pounding, whatever it is. It just pours out of you. This anger is a sin, but what's really the problem is what's already in you. That person cutting you off, my wife not making dinner, uh, your sister borrowing a sweater, they didn't put this in you. It was already there to begin with. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying this is an overflow of what's already in you. So the problem, yes, murder is wrong, but the problem is this thing that welled up within you that was already there. He goes on later to talk about adultery. Of course that's wrong, but he says the problem is really another one of the seven deadly sins we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. It's lust. It's already in us. What's in the glass already reveals what's inside us because this is about a condition of our hearts. It's not just the actions that happen when we get angry. It's what's going on inside us. It's the space that we've allowed the devil to occupy in our hearts the space that we've allowed the devil to occupy in our hearts. We go on in that in chapter 6 or chapter 4 of Ephesians it says this. It says in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, so pause and reflect and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Sometimes in my studies as I'm going through this, I've got some software that tells me the original Greek language and I can dive into some of those words. And this word really stuck out to me, so I looked at it. It's the Greek word topos. Topos, foothold. Or some translations translate it opportunity. And as I looked at this word, I began to find out some information about this word topos or foothold. It means space. To allow space for something to have a foundation. Now, many of you know that over the last several months, I've struggled with my feet, and uh, I've had some really serious issues that have even kept me from walking at times. And my feet, the way, the way my shoes were, they wouldn't allow my toes to have space to be able to even stand without pain. And I've showed this off before to some of you. Some of you have seen my shoes. I've got every single pair of shoes I have is a new pair of shoes. And these sneakers, guess what they're called? They're from a company called Topos. Now, I saw that, I thought, wait, what's going on here? 
these shoes, uh, they're narrow, just like a regular shoe, but in the front, they're really wide to allow space for my toes to spread out so I have foundation, so I can stand, so I can move, so I can really have the life that I need to have. Topos, space. I actually was so excited about this, I emailed, I messaged the company, and and I said, I'm a pastor, I'm loving wearing your shoes, and I was doing some uh, research, and I found out this word, topos, and I explained to him what it meant, and and I said, is that what you guys named your company after? Because it makes perfect sense, my toes have space to move, and it provides a solid foundation that I can stand. I thought maybe I'd get a free pair of shoes or something out of it, you know, and (laughs) They responded back, much to my surprise. They said, we didn't know that. That's awesome. That actually isn't where we got the name. It's actually the initials of our founder, but that's really cool. I want to pass that on to him. Topos, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him the space in your life, the foundation. And that's what anger does when we fill ourselves up with this. It's giving that space for the devil to be able to move. Don't give the devil space in your heart. Stop, reflect. That's why Ephesians tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger. Don't even give him that space of sleep for it to grow. See, just like pride, not everyone who is battling anger punches things or says mean things. Anger sometimes comes out in much more subtle forms. There's an example that's often used in couples counseling in dealing with conflict, and it's saying they're either a rhino or you're a hedgehog. Have you guys heard this before? A rhino is the person when they're in conflict. When, when anger, when they recognize it, when that warning light goes off, they just explode like a rhinoceros, loud and boisterous. You can see everything is happening around them. But many of us can be hedgehogs or porcupines, if you don't know what a hedgehog is, kind of like that. We go inside, we make this little ball, but then we put up these quills. And they're for protection, but they hurt those around us. Hedgehogs are subtle and silent, but deadly. Often what we call someone who deals with their anger in a passive-aggressive way. That might reveal itself like uh, saying, she's dead to me. And you withdraw from that relationship. Or you're returning the favor Right? Well, you're constantly late, so I'm going to show you. I'm going to constantly be late. That's anger within us. That's hedgehog display of anger. Now, I'm not that road rage guy anymore. I've grown past that. But that came from somewhere. That occupied a space in my heart. Those kids didn't put that there. It was already there, and it just spilled out. I think that that anger that I had in my adolescence came from some stuff that happened to me as a kid, some family dynamics, some things that happened that just went sideways in my family, and and that wasn't ever dealt with, and that anger, though, was just in there, and I gave the devil a foothold. And so in moments where someone would throw trash at my car, it would be released. I had made space in my heart for anger, and it spilled out often at perfect strangers. But it came from somewhere. It often happens that when I'm preaching on a subject, especially a struggle with sin, I find myself battling that particular sin in a pretty obvious way. Last week, we talked about pride. And man, pride was revealed to me in my own heart. Shining my light, if you remember that, anywhere other than Jesus. And this week on Thursday morning, I came face to face with the fire of anger. 
not chasing kids down in my car type of anger. I'm much more sophisticated now. (laughs) But the more subtle, complaining, whining that ultimately stems from a bitterness that's growing in my heart and spills out. Not a dramatic outburst of anger and not always even directed at someone in particular, but it's anger, a fire that every once in a while I let become obvious. But it's actually been there the whole time. It's not an outburst of violence, but it gives the devil a foothold. Now, I can't explain to you exactly what happened there. It's not appropriate for church. But it looks something like this. I'm done. This is getting absurd. They're raising our property taxes again. Why? Why? One look at our neighbor's house, and they'll see the value around here is going down real fast. I mean, do do John and... And what's her face even know how to take care of her home? Maybe paint the exterior every once in a while, you know? They have a brand new lawnmower just sitting in the garage. I would love a lawnmower like that. No, I have to have the kind that you have to hope and pray that it starts every time that you pull the cord. Everything around here is, is just breaking. I've asked the kids a dozen times to pick stuff up, but there's crumbs everywhere, there's soda cans, there's laundry on the floor, and it's not just in their rooms, okay? I saw a sock in the hallway. There is a, there's a t-shirt on the dining room table. I mean, are they even listening to us? Oh, and by the way, The fees for the ballet lessons, they're due. Let's have fun with that conversation, shall we? Sorry, sweet girl, your ballet dreams can't come true because mom and dad can't pay. This house that you wanted, it is breaking down by the minute and now it's too expensive for us to live in. Who hurt you? What? Who hurt you? A lot of people. And I guess it's messing with me. Anger is often what brews because of pain. It can often stem from pride. We saw last week. When we feel violated, I heard someone say that often anger will manifest itself in us when people are messing with our power or our possessions or our positions. When we're angry, we ask, where is this coming from? Is it something good within or is it fueled by my need for control? Or to use the word the Bible uses, idolatry, putting anything before God. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's what this is when our life is filled with this, bitter root. This is what I struggle with. It's not those outbursts of anger, road rage anymore. It's this bitter root that's grown within me because I allow the devil to have a space in my heart. Psalm 139 tells us what to do when we stop and reflect, and that's to test your temper. Test your temper. 
Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. When the warning light comes on, we have to stop. Test our temper. I'm going to get through the rest of these really quick here. Stop, drop. We know what this is, right? We need to go to our knees in prayer. Take it to God. Take your anger to God. Pray about it. The Psalms are full of examples of David taking his anger to God. God can take it. He's okay with us expressing that to us because he is the only one who can do something about it. Psalm 142 says, I cry out to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. When you're angry with others, drop. Drop to your knees. Take it to God. But sometimes we're angry with ourselves. Sometimes what's brewing inside us spills out on others because of an anger we have for ourselves. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight." Psychologists will tell us that often the anger that we have within us, if it's directed towards us and we don't do something, it leads to depression. Maybe you're struggling with that. I know there are lots of reasons that that we deal with that, but what if it's this anger that's brewed inside you that's directed at yourself? Drop it. Give it to God. Drop to your knees. When the warning light starts to go off, stop, test your temper, and drop. Pray about the predicament. We're told to cast our cares on him, bring our anger to him. God can take it. Stop, drop, and finally, roll. I know that can sound trite, but sometimes we just have to follow the advice of the wise Queen Elsa from Frozen and let it go. You're going to have that song in your head now for the rest of the day. So much of what causes us to get angry once we stop and reflect is just about us not being in control or not getting our way. We just need to let it go. To avoid stupid arguments. If you find yourself susceptible to anger, avoid those situations that get you angry. I think for so many of us, we need to put this verse on our home screens, right? On your phone, or on your computer. Second Timothy chapter 2 says this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. He's about as plain as he could be about this. Because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Drop. Avoid stupid arguments. Even when you see sin going on, stop and ask yourself, how do I address this? Am I going to do this in kindness? Or am I going to be a keyboard Nazi and just run off something to somebody? 
can't believe how stupid these people are for doing this. If they only knew better. See, there are times when our anger is justified and action is required. But the roll in stop doesn't just mean to let it roll off your back. Sometimes and often that's what it means. I'm going to say probably usually. But there are real wrongs that need to be addressed. But that doesn't mean that they can't be forgiven. Roll also means forgive. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, here's what you're supposed to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Many of us love that last part about heaping burning coals on someone's head, right? That's this spilling out again. That isn't the phrase kill them with kindness, right? We're not trying to get back at them in a passive aggressive way. I'm going to show you. But that is done to help them to see the error of their ways, to help them come to their senses, not to beat them into their senses. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Whether you just need to let the offense go or it's something that needs to be dealt with or something that needs to be forgiven, the remedy is the same. Give it up to God. James tells us that our anger can't produce the righteousness that God wants. So ask yourself, whose anger is this? Where did it come from? Stop. Test your temper. Drop. Pray about the predicament and roll. Give it up to God. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, it's easy for us to be angry at a distance. But Ephesians 4.32 tells us the remedy for anger, we just read it, to be compassionate, kind, and it's almost impossible to do that at a distance. You have to be up close. My wife said this as we were talking about this this week. She said, when you argue with a spouse, get closer. Don't fight across the room. Get close. We've practiced this. Try holding hands. Look in each other's eyes. See, it's easy to be angry from far away. It's much harder to wound a person that you love when you can see the impact up close. We've got to follow Christ's example in this. It would have been easy for God the Father to be angry at a distance. That righteous anger that he had against us because of our sin. Our sin separated us from him. We were the ones, though, that were moving farther and farther away. And God didn't want that. So he came as close as he could possibly get. He sent Jesus down to us to take our sins upon himself. So we could get intimately close with him. That his spirit could then, as we talked about in communion time together this morning reside within us, that God is in our midst, inside of each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. See, the remedy for anger 
is grace. The remedy for anger is grace. That's why Jesus came. That's what the cross is all about. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a song, an old hymn that says, the wrath of God was satisfied. Aristotle said, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person at the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and it is not easy. Romans 5, 6 through 8 has something to say about that. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone would possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aristotle was right. It's not within our power. And it certainly isn't easy, but it is possible. Jesus Christ demonstrated that for us on the cross and paved a way for us to see that what's within us, it doesn't have to spill out. But what's within us can be dealt with if we would just stop, drop, and roll. We would give it up to him. We would recognize that we can't do it alone, no matter how much we grit our teeth and try, but that we need him. We need him within us to fuel the right thing within us when that anger warning light goes off. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the opportunity you've given each and every one of us to be free from the wrath of God. God, in our own hearts, would you help us as your people Lord, that what spills out of us in those moments would be something pure and kind and compassionate. Lord, when that fire starts to burn, would we stop, drop, and roll? We put our faith and trust in you, the only one who can take care of this for us, who can help us in these temptations. Lord, we need you. We need you to guide us and to show us the way. We thank you for being the perfect example of what that looks like. And may we get up close with those around us when we're feeling angry and be kind and compassionate in your name. In Christ's name we pray, amen.